0: Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM and the KTAR News app. Alright, this is gonna tell you how old you are if you hear this song and it reminds you of Rodney Dangerfield dancing in Caddyshack. Am I right, Jeff? You are absolutely right. That as soon as it started, he playing, threw that money at the band and said, "Here, take some lessons." Oh, the the question he asked the judge's wife, which I won't say on the air, was, hysterical. "No, don't do that." <laughs> what a great movie, man! It's so great to have a kindred spirit in the building like Jeff Mun. Um, I can't ever hear this song without thinking of that scene of that movie. Um, all right, after that trip down memory lane, let's get down to business. Um, we have to talk about the southern border, and I'm going to continue to talk about this issue because it, you can attack us from any angle. Anyone, and I mean this seriously, anyone out there that thinks that because we want a secure border, I'm going to go with me, I, not just people that think, I'll, I'll speak for myself, that I want a secure border means, A, I don't want immigration. That's absolutely false. Um, that I don't feel for the plight to the people that are coming here. That's absolutely false. But what is happening at the border is incredibly dangerous. I just had this conversation yesterday, and I'm trying to remember who it was with. Oh, I was at lunch with some people yesterday, Um, and uh, we were just talking about politics in general. And I said, isn't it interesting because the topic came up about this horrible story of the doctor that was hiking, a bunch of hikers, and one of them got lost. He happened to be a doctor and lost his life hiking. In the city of Phoenix, we shut down the trails in Phoenix, the hiking trails during the hot summer, hot times of the summer in the daytime until it cools off in the evening. And we do this all over the city of Phoenix for two reasons to protect hikers from themselves, because there are times when even experienced people don't realize how quickly you can become over can be overcome with heat. I've seen it happen. We talked about that yesterday at lunch for whatever weird reason. Um, I had a, a guy that worked for me that had lived in Arizona for a very long time, young, healthy, strong guy. And uh, we had been working together for years. And he just out of the blue said, you know, I'm, I'm, starting to not, I'm starting to feel nauseous. So I said, get some water, get in the air conditioning. Within 30 seconds, his body was seizing up. His hands were seizing. His jaw was clenched. Uh, we had to call a rescue. And they got water in him and they got water on him and he ended up being OK. But we're talking about a parking lot in phoenix where he was 50 feet from air conditioning and water not traversing the desert so the first reason is we protect the hikers from themselves but secondly and still as important we do it to protect first responders that have to go and make those rescues so that's the rules that's the law in phoenix look what's happening at the southern border there are almost 750 people have died this fiscal year, and there, there was 748 is the total. Last year's total in the fiscal year was 557, so it's uh, almost 200 more. And they're saying it's probably higher because this doesn't include local law enforcement or local entities that are finding bodies. This is just federal statistics, So we know that the cartels that are leading these people here and and now, you know, Border Patrol, ICE and and CBP, uh, Homeland Security, they're begging people not to make this dangerous journey. They had a bunch of people. It wasn't just heat. They had a bunch of people. I think it was 10 of them or nine. It was nine people that drowned trying to cross the Rio Grande where it had been swollen because of the flooding. So this is, this is not about xenophobia. This, this tired old argument about the border that divides us about either you embrace people and care about people. No, I care deeply about people. You are ignoring what's happening at the border. Now, if you're, if, if you're, if your way of thinking of ending this tragedy is to just open the border, I think you're, that's where you and I are going to disagree that we should, uh, I think there should be a way for people to come here. You know, we, we used to have a thriving guest worker program. This is something I've advocated for for a long time. There are so many jobs that people are not doing. Construction. I, I met with a construction company yesterday. It's a, a thing that I'm going to be speaking at soon, and and uh, the great people, uh, and been around this valley for decades, and do a lot of work. And we were talking about construction. And I, I let me let me make a clarification here. I don't want to lump my opinions I'm giving you with theirs. These are not their opinions. I'm sure if any of them are listening, they say, don't say we're saying what you're saying. No, these are my opinions. But based on our conversation, there used to be a thriving guest worker program here. I want you to. Think I've talked about this before. The huge housing crunch we have in Arizona. Back in 07, I think it was, 06, 07, when the construction world was booming, we were building 65,000 new homes a year in Arizona. We're not even half of that right now. We have the need. The market is there. We do not have the labor force. We could alleviate so many problems on the border if our federal government would get together and make a guest worker program for people. A lot of the people that are crossing the border illegally right now with false claims of asylum. Imagine the reduction we could have if we said to people, you can apply for a work visa and have a program that could be up and running fairly quickly. We have the technology to track the visas. They could come and work. They could come and go as they pleased. They could send money legally home. It would help the economies of their towns at home. They would be helping the Arizona economy. They would not be taking public services. They would have to abide by the law. If you break the law, then your uh, visa could either be suspended or revoked, depending on the severity. And then what we say to people, here's the deal. If you don't want to apply for a visa and come and work in that fashion, if you come across our border illegally, if you sneak in and you're caught or you apply for asylum and you're denied, you go to the back of the line for these visas and you're, you, can't, you, you're no, you don't qualify for a year. Just that alone, without erecting one more foot of wall, without doing anything else would reduce the need to cross the border illegally, not in huge, huge numbers, but a definite reduction. That could free up the uh, ICE and CBP to focus on criminals. But even if you don't agree totally with my solution, what we're talking about, what I'm talking about are solutions. And we don't see anyone in the federal government talking about solutions. We have this war going on among a war of words among amongst each other, against each other. The governor's down in Yuma today looking at the um, at those storage container walls that are being built. But if we don't do something to rectify this situation, you are seeing hundreds and hundreds of human lives lost. You are seeing people sold to slavery, forced into slavery, sex slavery. I mean, this is and the, the southern border of the United States was named the most dangerous land crossing in the world, in the world, because of the deaths at the border and nothing is being done. It is uh, it's something that needs to be addressed and I say it needs to be addressed very, very quickly coming up in a moment. The Anti-Defamation League reviewing some educational content we're going to talk about, let you hear from uh, some teachers from around the country and uh, what they are doing in education that has people questioning the education system. All that's coming up next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. I should, I should use my Barry White voice. Um, uh, thanks for being here this morning. There is so much happening um, to get our arms around. And I. I'm not a doom and gloomer by any stretch of the imagination, but I am frustrated, and I'm frustrated that we look at a problem and then we start defending the problem if it happens to be our side of the aisle in a way. And Let me explain. Um, the education system in America is broken, and I think most people acknowledge that it's broken. Now, why it's broken is where we disagree, but I think most people agree it's broken. Uh, In Arizona, where less than half the kids, way less than half the kids in elementary school uh, cannot read at grade level or perform math skills uh, between third and eighth grade, uh, we all should be very concerned. We have in Arizona – they're talking about all these semiconductor jobs that are coming here. How many people are getting these visas to come here from other countries because our children are not educated enough? That's not saying that they're not smart enough. They are not educated enough to do the jobs. They don't have the skills to learn, to learn the jobs. That is a failure of the education system, period. And uh, parents need to be on board. Everybody needs to be on board. It's not just, you know, my kids are long out of school. I've got grandkids in schools now. I'm as concerned as anyone else is. That we want to see kids that can perform. And there are going to be children um, that go into the workforce. Uh, But let me – I I will promise you something. I I learned this at an early age, uh, which is very funny. I used to say to my teachers, when am I ever going to use algebra again? And at 18 years old, I went into the trade as an electrician. Um, Everything we do is an algebraic equation, wire sizing, conduit sizing. There's geometry uh, when you're talking about pipe bending or conduit bending. Um, There is so much math that is done as an electrician. Uh, the, you have to be able to, this is, sounds dumb as well, but you have to be able to do simple math just to bid a job. And if you don't have the skill set to learn when those things come your way, when an opportunity comes your way, you're lost. So there's been this rift in education for such a long time, and I've had this ongoing battle, which I have not chosen it to be a battle, with the teacher organizations here in Arizona. Um, And I will tell you it's because I hate the politics of of, uh, education. And I don't like their politics. I don't like the politics of what they're doing. Um, and that's just my my opinion. I'm being very honest about my feelings. I, I love educators. I love teachers. I would have on, um, and I've invited many times, there is the head of the teachers' organizations, a guy named Joe Thomas, who I've invited many times on the show, on the air. I've said, you're welcome anytime. We've reached out through different channels, and we've, I've never had an opportunity to speak with him privately or on the air. Um, I don't agree with their politics at all. But I want to see solutions like everyone else does but we got to address some of the problems and some of the problems are the distractions that are in schools now i'm this bothers me more than anything else so we talked yesterday about the poor test scores in arizona we also talked about the statistics that most americans do not trust or are losing trust not don't trust are losing trust in the school system And that is driven greatly by Republicans. And so Republicans have been made the enemy of education, which is such a false narrative. But I want you to hear something important. This is another undercover video that was done with an assistant principal in New York who is talking about not hiring conservative teachers. I want you to hear that. What this? This is him speaking. We have like very specific questions, and like ultimately, like our diversity, equity, inclusion question, like our DEI question. Like, if people don't answer the, that question right, yeah. they're just an automatic not if they say something that lends itself to be colorblind, yeah. it's like, you know, like everyone's equal, right? Like those things that are well-intentioned statements, but they're missing the depth of understanding. Yeah. So that, that person, yeah. yeah. So I know it's a very little difficult to hear. He was talking about hiring teachers, and he said if they don't answer our diversity, equity, and inclusion questions, their DEI questions, if they don't get that question right, they are automatically – A no hire. Now, we have a teacher shortage. Can't get, can't keep teachers. And you mean to tell me that if I disagree with your policy on diversity, equity and inclusion, if my opinion is different than your opinion on that, I'm disqualified. If I'm a math teacher, if I'm a science teacher, if I'm a reading teacher, I am now disqualified because the upper echelon, the management of the schools is saying we don't want you because you don't agree with our diversity, equity and inclusion policy. What What is one teacher going to do about that? The answer is nothing. It's not the teacher's job, but this is what I'm talking about. There is such a, a, a focus in an area that's none of the school's business. Now, there is a big difference between saying diversity, equity, and inclusion and in our questions and how we handle things and fair treatment of people. If you're someone that says, I'm going to treat this kid different in my classroom because of the color of his or her skin, because of their gender, because of their sexuality, whatever it is, or just because I don't like them, then that's an issue. But you've got people in leadership. This is now the second one this week that we've played where you've got uh, school principals or assistant principals saying, we will not hire conservatives. Matter of fact, the the last one we played, the guy said, I'm not hiring Catholics. And he put on was put on suspension. So this is where the distrust in education comes from, not getting the people that are best qualified in their field to teach, but this DEI stuff that's being put out there. And somehow this is fairness and it isn't fair. It's not fair to anyone. This is what is tearing schools apart. It's not bringing anybody together. It's a distraction. Kids are not learning. Classroom sizes are too big. You can't get qualified teachers, yet you exclude them. You say in a video, if you don't answer that question right, you could be a Harvard graduate. You could be someone that was a college professor, and now I want to give back and teach at the high school level. You could be immensely overqualified for the job. But if you don't answer the DEI question right, you're automatically a no hire. That's the politics of education. That's what's ugly about the politics of education. And we need to get the best qualified people in their fields and let them teach. And I think that's where the problem lies. Um, Coming up in a moment, a rise in violent crime. We're going to talk about that. And the fourth grader here in the Valley being charged or recommended for charges for bringing a gun to school. We'll talk all about that in just a couple of moments. How do we deal with the uptick in violence that's happening across the country? I think there's some things that are counterproductive if you really think about them. Um, A quarter of U.S. adults, this is an NPR story, a quarter of U.S. adults fear being attacked in their own neighborhood, according to a poll. They found that uh, 25 percent of black respondents, 26 percent of Latinos, 36 percent of Native Americans, 21 percent of Asian adults and 19 percent of white adults say they have feared someone might threaten them or harm them in their own neighborhoods. Um, the Canadian manhunt has ended as uh, one of the stabbers, the one that was on the loose that didn't uh, just murdered all of those people, many of them indiscriminately, um, people they didn't even know, uh, was found uh, f- dead, uh, self-inflicted wounds. Um, there was a kid in in Memphis, Tennessee, that killed four people, injured three others in a rampage that he streamed on Facebook. And um, there was a lawmaker, uh, a former lawmaker in Las Vegas, a Democratic lawmaker – who was uh, outed by a journalist named Jeff German. And uh, this is the guy now that's been arrested for stabbing this guy to death in Las Vegas. And so we have this huge uptick in violence. Uh, and now this one really surprised me. There is a group in New York State called the Jew- – it's a Jewish gun club. They are going to sue the state of New York for banning firearms in places of worship. That is just a- an oddly funny to me because well, many people would say, why would you need a gun at church? And the answer to that question, when everybody ever anybody asks me that, is I don't know. Um, but we do know, for whatever reason, churches have been attacked by. People with guns. It is foreign to me as well, but we've heard this over the years that it's happened. But it can happen anywhere. It can happen in a grocery store. It can happen at you know at a mechanic shop. It can happen anywhere. And to say to the world, and this is what New York is doing, with everything else that's going on, to say to the world, this is a gun-free zone. They're doing it in Times Square. To say we're putting up signs to tell everyone that if you're a law-abiding citizen, you cannot have a gun here, meaning if you're a criminal, you don't care, and now you have got prey all over the place. You've got sitting ducks. Um I was involved really heavily with a church for about 10 years or so, taught adult Bible study for years, and we still have connections, deep connections with this church in town. And I'm sure they are not unique in this. But, you know, on a Sunday morning, you have a collection plate, and a lot of times it's cash that goes into those collection plates. But also in a setting when you've got that many people gathered in one place, there is a level of security that's necessary. And unfortunately, that's the world we live in. We don't want to think about violence on school campuses. We don't want to think about violence violence at a hospital we don't want to think about violence in a church but you have to be prepared and fortunately in many of these churches there is active duty law enforcement there are veterans there are retired law enforcement there are people that are willing to take on the role of being a security coordinator and many times that involves people with guns To defend your congregation if something were to happen. The idea that New York, and they're going after this on the Second Amendment, they're going to win hands down. This is not going to hold up. But why would you say at a time when it is more dangerous to be a law-abiding citizen than we've seen in a long time with a lot of what seems to be spontaneous violence, why would your answer to the problem be disarm the citizens? Because the criminals are not going to be disarmed. You know, they've done some things with with drugs. I've talked about narcotics, and they now have a narcotics database, uh, opioid database, where if you prescribe opioids to a patient, you have to put that patient's information in a database. And if you're going to prescribe opioids to a patient, you have to go into that database and make sure that they're not already in there getting it from another doctor because many people, when they were abusing opioids, were going around and – and going to different physicians to get them or they go anonymously into an emergency room they make up a name they get treated they talk about this overwhelming pain they have in order to be prescribed a small dosage of opioids what we haven't done is taken away opioids from the people that are you know using them reasonably that's what it doesn't. It's like, well, we're going to take pain medication off the shelves because too many people are abusing them. Well, that doesn't seem like it solves any problem, and neither does disarming the citizenry. I don't want to see a shootout in the street. I don't want to be a part of a shootout. You know, I've owned guns. I've talked about it on the show forever. I've owned guns most of my life. I, I'm, I would say the vast majority of people that I hang out with own guns. And I'm excitable. I mean, I'm not just opinionated in this room. I'm opinionated everywhere. I've got no problem with a confrontation. I'm not talking about a fistfight. I'm 55 years old. My days are rolling around in the parking lot with somebody are over, I hope. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm going to shy away from a confrontation if it happens, if there's an argument that happens. or You know what I mean? I, I'll, I'll do it as reasonably as I can, but I, I'm certainly not a shrinking violet. And... I've never brandished a firearm on a human being. I have never brandished a gun on a human being. The one time in my life I've ever even picked up a gun with this, with this, uh, being afraid of using it, the burglar alarm in my house went off when my girls were young, when I was married, and the burglar alarm went off and everybody was where they were supposed to be. So I thought somebody in here, you're in the dark and you're in your own home and you're trying to figure out while your wife is calling 911 you're trying to figure out if there's an there is an intruder in your home. Now fortunately it was just a fault in my alarm system, but it's the only time in my life that I had my gun in my hand thinking that I might have to point it at someone. And I never want to do that again. So it isn't a desire but disarming me limiting my access or ability to carry a firearm like they do, like they're trying to do in New York does nothing to make society safer. And I think that's a conversation we all have to have in a perfect world. If you want to say nobody should have those firearms. Okay. Then let's have that discussion. When you disarm, the criminals so that they don't have them, then come talk to us about us not having them. But until you stop the criminals from getting them, I want to be able to fight fire with fire if necessary. We have this huge uptick in violence and there's a segment of society that believes the way you stop violence is to disarm the victims. And it just doesn't work. It's not going to work. And I hope this this narrative ends soon. Probably my favorite story of the day. The most, I would say the most, uh, the least in meaning, the least in repercussions, but the attitude you're going to hear in a moment with what an, what MSNBC host had to say is the most dangerous thing that the media is doing that they need to stop doing. I'll let you hear it coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, a little break from the seriousness, and we'll get to some some of the funny business coming up. Um, By the way, 11.05 this morning, we speak with uh, gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake, Republican candidate for governor. We will talk with her at just after 11 o'clock this morning, so I hope you can join us for it. Uh, Great thing that you can download the podcast and hear it there, um, or you could get the KTAR News app to remind you when we have the interview starting um msnbc host uh Mehdi hassan and uh said that uh there's something that uh has to stop in the media he said the media needs to stop you need to stop doing it right now what is it that needs to stop i'll let you hear his words There are two words we need to remove from our media vocabulary right now, and that is both sides. This fundamental crutch, this reliance on both sides as a kind of lazy way of covering our political moment is deeply dangerous. Oh, uh, you know, what's funny about this is that I don't care where you align yourself politically. And I don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't know where most of the people in this building align themselves politically. But I can tell you that I am surrounded in this building by people that are graduates from the Cronkite School and have a fellow journalist say we have to stop covering both sides. I imagine they have to be saying what? What did he just say? Because it's a crutch. It's a crutch to cover both sides. He's not done. So here's some examples of what he means. There's no two sides to these things. There are a bunch of major issues on which there are not both sides. There are not both sides on climate change. There are not both sides on white supremacy. There are not both sides on democracy. Ben, there are not both sides on the Holocaust. I mean, we live in America where in South Lake, Texas, school district an administrator is on tape. My colleagues at NBC News got the recording telling teachers, if you give a kid a book about the Holocaust, you need to give them a book with the opposing view. What is the opposing <laughs> (laughs) view on the holocaust so there are not both sides okay so let's 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 go at the end and go back toward the beginning did he really use as an example the holocaust because i would agree there's not two sides of the holocaust there are people out there that deny it ever happened that's true but there isn't two sides of the holocaust it was evil did he say that there's not two sides to climate change is that what he said is that did he put the climate change and the holocaust in the same sentence Um, the idea, white supremacy, there are two sides to white supremacy. There are a million sides to white supremacy. And it's not about it being good or bad, because I would say it's all bad. It is what's accused of white supremacy. I'll give you an example. There is a candidate for Senate. I believe she's in South Carolina that went on a racist rant about how badly you have to treat white people or they misbehave. She said, so I keep them under my thumb. Um, so there's an element there. That's a racist thing to say. I don't care what color your skin is. It's a racist thing to say. So there are there are two sides to a lot of stories. There are multiple opinions. When you want to talk about white supremacy, uh, you also then have to defend that that is what it is. Not just you saying that we live in this or was it uh, AOC Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talked about misogyny, that it isn't just a Republican thing. It's all through its moderates, its liberals. And she said she didn't even know if she would live through September, she told GQ magazine. So the idea of a host that calls himself a journalist That says we have to stop covering both sides. So in his mind, let's go down the road with him in his mind. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans are dangerous and a threat to democracy. That's a fact in their world. There's no debating that. We don't have to cover the other side of that issue. We don't have to cover the other people that are MAGA supporters that are still wearing the MAGA hats that want nothing to do with violence in our society, that hate what happened on January 6th. There's no such thing. If you're a MAGA Republican, you are a threat to democracy. In his mind, that's a fact. There is no debate. There's no two sides to that issue. Journalism in America. Now, you can see it on the other side if you want to. Fair enough. But this is what he said on MSNBC. Mehdi Hassan said, we have to stop, get rid of the two words in journalism, both sides. It is absolutely the most bold um, statement of nonsense I've heard in a very long time. But at least he said it. You know, he's standing up for what he believes in and that is that there is only one opinion that's actual fact, and it's mine. What I believe, if I say that this group of people is a threat to democracy, that's a fact. There is no debate. We shouldn't have to talk about it, and uh, I think it's pretty scary. I think it's funny. I, I have to admit, I think it's hilariously funny because I work with a lot of journalists that spend their entire life giving you information and letting you decide. And there are many times in a conversation where someone says, well, I will – the other side of this same coin, uh, Mehdi Hassan would say it's my way or the highway attitude of Donald Trump as president of the United States was horrible. That he said fake news and that, well, the difference is in the mind of people like Hassan, they're truth-tellers and the other side is liars. So we shouldn't have to pay attention to the lies. That's what they're saying. That's where the fact checking comes from. It uh, to me is just absolutely laughable. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, we're going to talk about the Arizona Governor's Forum that happened last night. If you haven't heard any of this today, some of the things that both Carrie Lake and uh, Katie Hobbs had to say, it's coming up.